Lord says this. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Please be seated. Let's pray one more time and ask for God's help in this understanding of this message. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray that as we intersect with your text that we'll listen and your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts uh, with whatever we need. As uh, they used to pray, Lord, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Lord, we pray that you'll help us as we read your words to us and think about them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the writers of the commentaries on this text titled this section, Division, Rejection, Withdrawal, and Progress. And as we've preached and read and thought through Acts up to this point, uh, we see that as probably a good um, way to summarize the spread of the church in the early days. And as we proceed through Acts, we'll see more of that. Division, rejection, withdrawal, and progress. Uh, It's a pretty good description of all of the church in history. In many cases, that sums up our lives, doesn't it? Uh, That old song said, you're riding high in April and you're shot down in May. That's life. And that's a good summary of what life is. And, And so we've followed the progress of the church as it grows and we see the gospel start to spread. We see opposition. We see uh, leaving and going somewhere else and yet we see the progress of the gospel all the way through. That's what we see this morning. Uh, the best uh, description I've heard of, of heaven is, is different. That's farther up and farther in. There's no stagnation in heaven but there's progress in heaven as we grow in our understanding of the Lord. Uh, progress in heaven without the division, without the rejection, without the withdrawal. But we have those things here on earth until we get to heaven. So this morning, Paul and Barnabas in our text have moved on from where we were last week. 
They were driven out of Antioch and Pisidia. They entered Iconium in these first verses of uh, chapter 14 that we didn't read. Uh, They were driven out there after they saw these great signs and wonders that God did and the gospel spread, but the opposition came along as well. And this is what we're seeing. So now they're in this place called Lystra, and it's a new place, a new setting. Um, And we're going to see some things. I had a missions professor in seminary. Paul Long was his name. He was an old cowboy from West Virginia. He was probably he was probably 84 or so then. Had a few heart attacks. But he would say, I wake up in the middle of the night and I think about coming in and teaching you guys. And it wasn't a technical class. It was a fun class. It was one of my favorites. And that, that old cowboy was wonderful. He'd spent time with his family in the Belgian Congo until things got too hot and it looked like his family was going to die. So then he went to Brazil. And he was in the Amazon uh, jungles there, and he said, we'd go into the one town, and he says, and by the time they got the electricity into that town, we figured it's time to push on, and he'd go in, and he was just a, one step ahead of the electricity. But he said some things to us as we think about signs and wonders, and we think about healings and stuff that seems a little strange to us. He said, listen, he said, I could tell you some things that really happened, some spiritual things. I can tell you of spiritual warfare. I can tell you of, of, of things going on back and forth. He said, but you would hardly believe them here at Reformed Theological Seminary where we break everything down and we make everything so nice and tidy in our boxes. He said, there is something happening spiritually that you must be aware of. He said, how many of you, one time he said, how many of you are going to go into youth work? How many look like, your, 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 your place out of here is youth ministry. And several people raised their hands. He said, stand up. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, these other guys, it'll be good jobs. It'll be good, uh, respectable uh, uh, churchianity and in places. He said, but you are going to see things because you're going into a culture and there is spiritual warfare because you're fighting the culture back uh, from what the devil has. He says, this is like these little towns in these African places. He said, the witch doctors aren't all in Africa and Brazil. It's around here. He says, you will, you need to understand, you can't just distill your reformed theology and your Bible knowledge, even the truth, into a, a nice, tidy, clean sheet. There are things happening. And he told us some of those stories, and it was very interesting. I have to tell about uh, one, one thing. It was just a funny story, and this, this is him, maybe what made him one of my favorite professors. They would go in, and they'd take these generators into these little towns, and people hadn't seen much TV or movies or anything like that because there was no electricity. And they had this uh, Jesus film, uh, which is basically the book of Acts, and Jesus' words all the way from birth to death. And they would show this with these power generators in their trucks. And and then they would share the gospel. And people would come. They'd never heard something like this. It was like this town in Lister. They'd never heard this. And he would, he would, they would show this thing. And and, and he said, the Lord used that to bring a lot of people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. So one of our skeptics raised his hand. One of my fellow classmates. And I'm not even sure where he's at, but he He had something for everything, and he raised his hand, and he said, Dr. Long, I don't want to be disrespectful, but 
Now, what happens when somebody is leading off? I don't want to be disrespectful. What? <laughs> Expect what? Disrespect. He says, there are some people, he was one of them, who would say that you were violating the second commandment by showing that Jesus movie. And even though all those people got saved, uh, you were in violation. This is the student to the, to the teacher. And, and, and Dr. Long, that old man, I loved him so much. He said, well, he said, I just want to tell you. He said, I was pretty lucky out there in the, in the jungle and that I only had to work with the Sadducees. I didn't have to deal with the Pharisees till I got back here to Jackson. I laughed until I cried. Uh, he was a, it was a good response. But this man talked about spiritual things that happened to him. I could share one of when his mother died. Uh, but I won't. I, talk, talk to me at lunch. I'll tell you that story. That made a profound impression impact on me as mother had died back here and and he said spiritually there is a don't shudder at the word mysticism don't shudder at the word of spiritual uh, we're not just tidy little people here in our tidy little boxes okay there's something spiritual happening these things that we're going to consider this morning three points as we think about Paul and Barnabas in Lystra and this spiritual warfare, these things that were happening to them that they saw, uh, we take them as truth because they're in the Bible. Three things. First point, it's going to be open doors in a new environment. Second, misunderstanding in a superstitious environment. And finally, the same God in every environment. Open doors in a new environment. Misunderstanding in a superstitious environment and the same God in every environment. First of all, open doors in this new environment. This is the most Gentile place that Paul and Barnabas had been. They started out uh, with religious believers, or religious non-believers in Israel, predominantly Jewish, but didn't know the Lord, didn't see Jesus as their Messiah, and they'd seen God work, and the church uh, formed there, and the gospel spread. This is all... Pentecost, if you remember back to Acts chapter uh, 4, boy, 2, uh, when we started way back a long time ago, we saw Pentecost, and we saw the gospel gradually spreading. Then we see them going into towns and cities where there was a Jewish presence and a Gentile presence, and they knew that the Jewish people were religious, and they had an understanding of the scriptures and an understanding of one God, but they didn't know Jesus as the fulfillment of that of those scriptures. And then they had a lot of pagan uh, culture around them, and it was mixed. And their strategy up till now has been to find the synagogue and to go preach that word and use that as a launching pad as they bring Jews and Gentiles, people together. I get to say this again this week, like I say just about every week in Acts. The cure for racism is not in some government program. It is not in some propaganda from some non-believing group. Uh, the cure for racism, what brings all people together, uh, is a faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where uh, the walls are broken down, the suspicions. The uniter is Jesus. And they would do this. But in this particular town, there was no synagogue. This was their most secular 
their most Gentile place to have gone. So they were on the street, and it was common in that day for people. Today, sometimes if we walk down, especially up here in New England, there's more of that going on in the South, to be honest, so we don't, I'd see that. But in New England, you see somebody on a street preacher, you go, uh, I don't know, keep your distance, what's going on here? And, and I don't even stop long enough. Uh, the, the very few times, which I can count on one hand in the, in the 15 years I've lived up here, uh, I haven't stopped long enough to even hear if the message is true or to interact. I just said, ooh, that guy's brave, <laughs> that guy's crazy, combination of both. What's the, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? In that day, that was common. So maybe you hear in the news about over in London and places like that, there's more common uh, people standing up and just proclaiming to the masses. This was the way that Paul and Barnabas did it in this town. The rich people in these towns would hire private uh, tutors because everybody's interested in in, in philosophy and the meaning of life and religion and, and how it all works together. So the very wealthy could hire people privately. Um, but the common people, they heard about these things on the street. And Paul and Barnabas were proclaiming these messages about Jesus Christ on the street. Sermon that was preached was a different kind of thing than, than the recorded sermons in Acts so far because of the different environment. And there was an open door in this new environment as they were fulfilling the Great Commission. And the open door was this man that was healed. You see miracles in the Bible. Jesus did miracles and it drew attention. Peter healed that lame man. He went up, remember, he was walking and leaping and praising God, and everyone was astonished. And they said, who did this? And it was an open door for the message. We see this in, even in the chapter we're in, just a couple verses up. Acts chapter 14, and it's verse um, 3. When they were in Iconium, it says, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hand. God took their message, and the message of the gospel of Jesus was the primary thing. It wasn't just uh, seeing societal ills and healing that and not talking about Jesus. The gospel message was the primary thing. But God gave fuel to them. God granted them to be able to do these signs and wonders and these healings so that people would listen. And there they were, open doors in a new environment. And Paul looks at this man, and he sees him. And this man is there. He's a cripple. He's a captive audience. Uh, Luke is careful to say crippled from birth and had never walked in verse 8. He listened. And Paul saw him, and the Holy Spirit did something. Just like maybe in your life, uh, somebody said one time, they used this language, it was a girl in my youth group uh, way, way back when. And she said, and the Spirit just kind of witnessed with my spirit. And I, I just knew I was talking to a Christian, and we talked about this. And, and, and God, and I said, that, that happens. That happens. And you know, and, and God did something. And, and God said to Paul, as Paul is preaching, this man's listening. There's some faith here. And, and God healed this man. God gives the faith. God gave the healing. God gave the moment. And there they were, 
a new place with different customs, a different belief system, but the same gospel message to proclaim. said, if I thought about it, I'd read you this quote from John Stott about this. John Stott was talking about Paul and and, and the the preaching of of the word. And Stott tells us, we need to learn from Paul's flexibility. We have no liberty to edit the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ, nor is there ever any need to do so. But we have to begin with where people are, to find a point of contact with them. With secularized people today, this might be what constitutes authentic humanness, the universal quest for transcendence, the hunger for love and community, the search for freedom, or the longing for personal significance. Wherever we begin, however, we shall end with Jesus Christ, who is himself the good news, and who alone can fulfill all human aspirations. There was an open door. There was a message. It was a new situation. And it just got more radical, because what happened? They healed the man through God's power, and the people saw it, and the people didn't say, praise God, tell us about this God you're you're, uh, proclaiming about. The people wanted to worship them and thought that they were the gods. Misunderstanding in a superstitious environment. We know this to be true, don't we? People everywhere are religious. You might even say superstitious uh, in that we know there's something going on. Uh, The most ardent denier, the most person who says they're the most fact-based. We see it now uh, just even, you know, follow the science, follow the science. But what is the science? And in the end, people go with their their leanings, their superstitions, their their beliefs in something. Francis Bacon was not lying when he said people prefer to believe what they prefer to be true. And what we know about ourselves is that there is an innate understanding that there's something. We call it coincidence. Uh, Some pastor said it's not a coincidence, it's a God incidence. But people look at that and they say there is something. There is something out there that's different. That's why these TV shows are are so uh, popular like X-Files and things like that. There's something out there. What is it? It challenges us and it makes us think. Christians look at these things and we understand it and we'll sing songs like God moves in a mysterious way. Or we can look at events and circumstances in our life and we can say there's something going on but we see it's the hand of God. Romans 8.28, we say all things work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. And we understand that. But non-Christians, they know there's something too. They just don't know quite where to find it. But there is nobody who truly in their soul is like Joe Friday on Dragnet saying, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. Uh, We can look at just the facts, but there there is an innate hunger and understanding in everybody's mind out there. When we live out Jesus' great commission, when we take the good news to people, it's not just to get them to believe in the supernatural so they can believe in Jesus' salvation. But you know, some people need to be aware of the fact that there is something 
supernatural. There is something out there, and they need to be told that it's okay. Miracle on 34th Street, remember that great movie? And the mom wanted to raise that little Natalie Wood, wanted to raise her just with science, science, science. It's all a fact, all a fact. But that little girl knew, and eventually the mom knew. It's, it's a, a, a Christian movie with Santa Claus, in a way, because it points people to the fact that there's, there's something out there that is, that is not explainable with the human eye. Talk about this. All these myths from around the world. You can buy books uh, from Africa, books from Asia, books from Europe, and you can read the folk stories about all these people, and there's always something, whether it's Ireland and the little people, that there's, a, there's a, an understanding. It's part of, of the literature of humanity, of the supernatural. That's not an accident. One man said that points to the true myth. Uh, we understand that. Uh, Paula was reading for her little girls that she takes care of, was reading the Chronicles of Narnia to them. And the oldest girl said, you know, there's a lot of stories like that where somebody comes and dies for somebody. And I've heard that in other things and seen that in movies. And Paula's like, yeah, that's pointing to the truth that we know of Jesus dying for us. Uh, Nothing wrong. And so in this supernatural environment, these people did what came natural to them. They saw something happen, and they said, this has got to be God. This has got to be God. That's, that's the spokesman. That's Hermes, and that's Zeus. Also, in that particular culture, there was a poet named Ovid who wrote a story, and this had happened uh, recently in their culture, where Zeus and Hermes had visited and they'd knocked on all these doors, and no one would take them in, and no one knew they were gods except an old couple. And in that literature and that story that they told in that culture that day, a flood came then later and destroyed every house except for this old couple, and their house turned into a mansion. And so in their minds, they're saying, ah, maybe it's true, maybe it's not true, but if these really are gods, we better worship them. Here are these strange people that came in and healed this man who was lame from birth. So they were there. It's a popular myth that's sort of like our TV shows, Highway to Heaven or Touched by an Angel or one of those types of things. God is among us. You know that's even in the Bible? We actually have that as part of our teaching and instruction. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 says this, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. We see in scripture that happened when God came to visit Abraham before moving on to Sodom and Gomorrah. And they didn't know who it was till he was gone. But it's saying that actually can happen. The possibility is there. The truth not even can happen, but does happen. Show hospitality to strangers. You know, that might be an angel. That's Bible teaching, so that part's true. So these people looked and they said, are these gods? Are these angels? Are these supernatural beings who just did a supernatural thing? And they saw the actions more than hearing the words, and they went to bow down and worship them. 
And the priest from the temple of Zeus said, I better get over there too, man. If I'm going to be the priest in the temple, what, is, what am I supposed to do? I better take these things and sacrifice and, and make these sacrifices. It says that they didn't know what was going on because the language, Luke was careful to say, the language was, was in Lyconian. It's not like they said, hey, this is a pretty good situation. Every other town we go into, we get beat up. <laughs> now they're going to bow down to us. Let's, let's milk this thing a little bit at least and have some, have some, uh, so, some good stuff. They didn't, they didn't do that. As soon as they found out, as soon as they figured out the language, uh, what was going on, as soon as they figured out that, that what was happening was that, they reacted in a way that was customary. They tore their clothes as a sign of distress. And you see that in Scripture where, where uh, people in that Jewish culture would tear their clothes, sackcloth and ashes, those types of things. And so they said, we can't, we can't handle this. The instinctive response from the men of God was horror. Don't treat us like gods. We're not gods. Get up. Don't worship us. Don't sacrifice animals to us and bow down to us. And then Paul had the opportunity to tell them about the real God. So his message to them, his dialogue, uh, he says, we're men like you. We put our pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. We are not gods. Two times in Scripture, sermons are recorded that are for strictly Gentiles, and they are different than the ones that Paul preached or Peter preached to the strictly Jewish people or even the mixed uh, race uh, crowds that he had. Here and on Mars Hill, he couldn't say in this message, and if you'll open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4, you will, they would go, what's Deuteronomy? What's Leviticus? What is, what is this passage? He started at a common point. He said, we are human beings. We are people like each other. The gist of his proclamation is people are the same. Basically the same everywhere. Now I say this, and it's the truth. On Judgment Day, there's two kinds of people. There's the sheep and the goats. But when it comes to our core of who we are, the stuff we're made of, we are in common. People are, are people. And I was, people are people. When you get to my age and you're out of shape like I am and you go out and you, you help your wife in her job and you shovel and you, you move mulch all day yesterday like I did, uh, you come back, you're sore. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you're out of shape and you try and do that, uh, your muscles are going to be sore. Uh, we have things in common. I spent five hours out there yesterday, and I was able to listen to, listen to this great book. A guy named Andrew Roberts, a historian, wrote a biography of, of Napoleon, wrote a biography that's like they say the best one now on Churchill that I have and haven't read yet. But he wrote a book called The Storm of War. And just, it, it's another World War II history. And I see this guy on, on some international Churchill forums and things like that, and, and I like him and respect him. But boy, you think about human beings all around the world in the 40s, 80 80 years ago. They're not different than you and I are. We just live in this time, in this place, but people are the same. Uh, This, uh, oh, a a story that that brings sadness and horror everywhere. 
as he just talked, you know, he, he talks about the strategies, he talks about the sweep of war. I've learned so much, and I'm listening and, and getting. He told a story that just brings sadness no matter where you're at. Talked about a British guy who was taken captive, and he was in Burma. And he looked over, and he saw a little four-year-old girl trying to spoon-feed her mom, her dead mom, evaporated milk, and trying to do that. And, he, and just what that did to him. And what that does to us when we think about that. And I thought about that little girl and I said, man, if she's still alive, which surely an orphan in the time of war probably is not, but she'd be my mom's age. And you say, stories like that, there's universal sadness. People's tears aren't different and people's joys aren't different. And Paul's approach in sharing the gospel with these uh, non-believing people who had all these gods was not to, to, to take them into the Jewish religion right away and show from the Old Testament scriptures how they pointed to Jesus. He had to get them uh, first from the many gods to one God. That was his message, one God. And his message was no celebrities, no plurality of gods, no other people to worship. Uh, the Bible Christian message is always there is one God and only one God. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And then he said, that God is the God who's been feeding you even though you weren't aware of him. What did he say to them? He said, uh, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, talking about the patience of God before the wrath came. He allowed them, but even while he was allowing, while he was extending his patience, what did he do? He did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He said, listen, that God was aware of you even though you weren't aware of him. And I'm here to tell you now about that one God. And we know Paul's message then moved toward the gospel and who Jesus Christ is. He said there's common grace in addition to common pain. Now we'll come back next week and we'll tie this up and talk about what happened um, and how things flipped and, and we're going to get them back to, to Acts 15, which is key. That'll be in two weeks. But just an application or a conclusion from this passage that we take with us as we con contemplate this word. The first thing is this. Avoid the cult of personality. They wanted to make gods out of humans. Don't we do the same? Isn't it a good word to say, shut up and dribble, shut up and sing? Somebody wrote a song, and you sang it, and now you're telling me the meaning of life? You played an actor on a zombie show, and you killed a zombie, and now you're telling me how I'm supposed to think about heaven and hell and God and life and death? What, you're a famous actor? Here's a news tip. That zombie you killed on that TV show wasn't really a zombie. That was just an actor pretending to be a zombie too. Who are you? Uh, shut up and act. I'm not going to make a personality out of you just because you're famous in another area and because I liked your song. Paul says, get up. Don't worship people. Don't worship people with big personalities or who do good things. 
Don't succumb to the guise of sophistication. We don't have to be so sophisticated. We see everybody out there and we take their word for it and turn our own minds and hearts off. Paul's there with Barnabas. They're trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're trying to say all of sin and come short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus. Jesus is our one substitute. And you want to worship us because of something that the Holy Spirit did through us? Get up. So avoid that cult of personality. Think about who you might be inclined to worship. A politician or or a preacher or anybody that interferes with your wisdom and your, your understanding that there's a God. Don't let anybody block God from your sight by their big personality or their success. If I read what you write on social media, that still doesn't make me your follower. That's just language we use. Careful who you follow. Second thing, application. Have the same horror that Paul and Barnabas had of someone is trying to make you their God. You know, it's hard enough to be a husband and a father or a pastor be some kind of a role model without having to be your God. Don't put pressure on me to be your God. I'm not your God. Don't let somebody pressure you to be the God. Don't expect your husband or wife to be God. There's only one God. Thank the real God that it's not them. Your dad is not your God. Your teacher is not your God. God is God. President is not your God. Government is not your God. God is God. Your job is not your God. God is God. So I tell you, sometimes I, I succumb to the one dollar the bargain bin. I was talking to Tito. I said, do you remember this guy? And Tito goes, I remember him. We talked about Michael Bolton. Remember a singer from the 80s? He had that long hair. Uh, so I was going through the, the bin at uh, Good, Goodwill while I was waiting for, for uh, my daughter to get off work. And I was, I saw that album for, for a dollar, uh, and I didn't buy it. I just laughed because I had it. I, I already wasted 16 bucks on it 20 years ago. But um, the song was called, and the album was called Soul Provider. I want to be your soul provider. And, and not, not like soul of your shoes and not like soul as in only, but your soul. And let me be your soul provider. And I've got to be that. Well, it was a marketing thing, and he's probably a good guy. It was probably a good song. I probably would plug that in and enjoy that and have some good trip down memory lane. But listen, if somebody wants to come along and be your sole provider, uh, you be careful. Your soul, uh, God is the provider of your soul. He might send people along to help to help you and, 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 and teach you and love you and set examples for you. But God is your sole provider. There's just one. And don't let anybody be either your provider physically and, and be the one you look to as your God for your happiness. And don't let somebody be in charge of your soul other than God. Fourth thing, recognize that God gives open doors to those who are interested in proclaiming the good news of salvation in him. God opens the doors. God is the one. Forgive. He gave healing to the lame man. He gave him faith. 
Holy Spirit was involved in Paul recognizing this, and it says that God opens the doors. Fifth, acknowledge that you are no different and certainly no better than the as-yet non-believer. Paul didn't say, get up and don't worship me, but still acknowledge me because I know all this stuff about the Bible. He said, get up, we're men like you are. He didn't put himself in a hierarchy of even spiritual disciple or whatever he thought he was. We're men like you are. He realized, and his interest was in them becoming equal brothers, sons and daughters of God. So I'll say it again. Acknowledge that you're no different and certainly no better than the as-yet non-believer. Six, be glad and thankful for God's common grace. Be glad and be thankful for God's common grace. Even before you knew God, God was sending rain. God was providing food. God was keeping you alive until the point where you acknowledged and and repented in your heart of your sin and, and put your faith in Jesus alone. And God was there taking care of you all along. And then as he said to these people, turn from these vain things to a living God, if you haven't already. If you're not a believer, look at the vain things. Look at the superstitions. Look at the the, the people that you idolize, the people that you want to to provide for you, uh, and turn from these vain things to a living God. To be perfectly clear, and here's the message that, 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 that Paul would go on to give. We got the first part of his sermon, summing up the gospel. There is one God. Then as a title of a book once put it, he's there and he's not silent. You weren't seeking him, though you were kept alive by him. But he sought you. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And even though you weren't that interested, you were doing your business in whatever Lystra city where you lived, along he comes with his gospel message. There are a lot of distractions, false gods. There are fool's gold that will melt away in hell and leave you with nothing on the other side of life. What are you hanging on to? What gods are you worshiping? It's a lonely place in hell. But those people, if it's people that you've turned into gods, if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, they'll be down there with you, and they won't be very worshipful to look at. Understand, God sent Jesus to be the propitiation for the sins of his people. He made a trade, his righteousness for our unrighteousness. And before we go to the table and bow our heads as we contemplate this passage uh, uh, later on uh, through the week as we think about what we've heard this morning, just take these two verses of Scripture with you. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of the blood, weren't born into born Christians, they weren't born into it. They weren't born of the will of the flesh, they didn't make themselves believers, or the will of man, I didn't wish hard enough, but they were born of God. I'll read it again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray and go to the table. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this incident that was recorded for us. Thank you for the message 
uh, of the gospel. Thank you that there's one God who is our one provider for our souls. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to elevate ourselves and climb through some pecking order to get closer to you. We thank you that, uh, that we are all people who put our pant leg on one leg at a time. And we all have this calling and this obligation to acknowledge you as our God, to confess our sins and to put our faith in Jesus. Thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. In his name we pray. Amen.